It's time for some inside animation. With your host, Adam Sartain. Today's guest, Pat Fraley. And now, here's your host, Adam Sartain. And here we are with another episode of Inside Animation. I am your host, Adam Sartain, and today we have with us the great Pat Fraley. No, 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 you have the great Lord <laughs> Yes, wonderful. The great Lord Krang. For those of you who are a bit younger and don't remember the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, of course, Pat Fraley was the voice of Krang and so many other, so many other voices with, oh, with yeah, Hanna-Barbera uh, and... Oh, but in that show I did uh, Casey Jones, Hello yeah. Violator, <laughs> and Baxter Stockman, Fly Guy, and Bird Johnson, go, 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 go. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, Fred Wolf, the producer, was kind of, uh, let's call it to Adam, frugal. Right. And uh, he didn't have guests for the longest time. And so we'd be light on a contract. At that time, it was three voices for the price of one. And he would say, okay, who's light on the contract? And somebody raised their hand. Okay, you're the Chinaman. I said, I, I don't do Chinese. <laughs> no, you do now. <laughs> so uh, uh, Rob Paulson and certainly my cousin Cam Clark and even Barry Gordon got thrown into doing character voice work. And uh, some of them never did it before. I did more than anybody. Oh, Pete Renaday did a little bit, but you know, we got thrown in, loved it. Yeah. And I hear that happens often. Like, I mean, even when I got started in voiceover, I was doing anime dubs and the director asked me, well, what other voices can you do? And I had to, that's when I first started listing the voices I could do. Right, right. Because I well, couldn't remember. Well, these days, you're usually cast as the one person. Right. Then they might go, can you do a duck? Or, you know, later. But uh, in those days, it was like, you know, you know you do three voices for the price of one or two, you know. Right. Right. Yeah, I did two voices recently for a little uh, internet thing, but let's get to our first question, as it were, of the day is not only are you a voice actor, but you also teach. Yeah, more so than I did earlier. Why? Because nobody wants to work with old people. It's kind of creepy. Hmm. And so recently, within three days, the person that discovered me and the person who was my mentor, the first being Don Jurich, the second being Chuck Floor, both right. died. Oh. So I'm in a position where, yeah, you're the old guy, but I have always had a passion for performing and teaching since I was a kid. And so now I teach more, but I, I'm still, I, it's still wonderful. And everything I teach is on patfraley.com. It's in questions are welcomed. 
And if they go to my contacts, they'll find my personal email address because I'm available totally until I go to heaven. Then I'm not. <laughs> as long as you can still speak, right? As long as you have breath in your lungs. I guess. It's one of the great things about being a voice actor is you can do it, you can teach it, you know, as long as you can speak. I don't know. There are two different skills, performing and teaching. God just gave me both, and uh, I've done it all my life, but they're, they're separate skills. Teaching is, uh, I was taught, you know, by really cruel stuff, you know, especially at Cornell for my MFA in acting. And I thought to myself sometime along the way, you know what? I'm not going to do that. Our greatest enemy, Adam, when we do stuff is fear. Yeah. Right. Even now I've got a little bit of heightened adrenaline and, and perhaps you do too, but that's the way it is. So you don't introduce that. Not when you teach, Oh, you'll get plenty when you're on the job. That's a skill that was given to me. And I use it. I always speak the truth, but I speak the truth in love. I'm forthright because there's nothing worse than being shined on. Oh, you, you'll learn nothing. But I nev- you'll never hear, what were you thinking? You know, from me. So let's talk a little more about teaching and what a, what a voice teacher does as opposed to, say, an acting teacher. What are the... That's- what are some differences? Okay, the real difference is, and it could be me, but I have umbrage with the term coach. Mm. Now, coach is not like a, it comes from athletics, but it's not like that. It's more like a personal trainer. And there's a great deal of amount and a perception that it should be encouraging and, you know, motivating. You can do it, you know. And I think a good teacher is a good coach because he knows or she knows who they are teaching. And so they know what they need. And so that is addressed. And there has to be guidance back and forth, or guidance from me, interaction. And I always teach that way. But that seems to be the clarion difference between a coach and a teacher. I always call myself a good teacher right? or a teacher. Forget the good. They, they said that about me, but uh, I've always had a passion for knowing other people because how else, you know, when I had Nancy Cartwright as a private student a few years ago, I mean, when am I ever going to be a short, blonde, Bart Simpson kind of person? Yeah. No, <laughs> but if I have an African-American middle-aged student, I'll never be that. And so it is another way of hiding, of performing someone else. And uh, that's, I, I kind of dig that. Right. And for those of you who don't know, of course, Nancy Cartwright is the voice of Bart Simpson. But let's go a bit deeper. And if you can, tell us a bit about your teaching method. How do you approach, say, teaching a person who's done, quote unquote, voices, but has had no formal training? How would you approach that student? Well, it's like a plumber. You know, they come in, you've got a problem with your toilet. You don't know what it is. You're, you're non-plus. You're going to pay $100 an hour. You know, whatever. They come in. In minutes, they switch out the cistern and change a gasket and say, done. And you go, that's amazing. <laughs> well, it's, it's amazing if you haven't done it 150, 200 times before. Right. So there is a, that skill. Now, when I have a person that is not trained, it's kind of cool. Although I, I must admit, I take good people and bring them toward excellence. Right. So I don't get too many newbies. But when I get somebody who goes, I have no acting background. Well, 
it's it's so simple that it's good they don't have bad habits to break. For example, you, you say something to me, any line whatsoever, and I'll show you a bad act. Uh, let's see. What are you doing in my swamp? I wasn't doing anything. Uh, no, it's pretty bad. Right. Because I'm not responding to what you said and how you said it. Now say it again the same way. What are you doing in my swamp? I I, uh, I lost my key, sir. See, there's initiation yeah. in response. Now, I made up a scene in my mind, as I said, and that's usually on the paper or you know why. Somebody said, what are you doing in my, doing in my swamp? You know why they said it. But for the sake of example, I made up a scene. The scene kind of requires, in the author's words, require you to make your choice, not how you feel or if you're good at that. It's just a matter of responding and correctly. A lot of people make choices that make them comfortable when, in fact, our job is to realize the author's intent. Because acting is a craft, not a, an art. The writing is the art. The craft is the acting service, not to disparage acting because it's not like dried corn or water and you put it on the dried corn and we taste sort of like corn. No, there's a little bit of voodoo hoodoo in there and I don't diminish it, but I do walk away from art. Very true. Very good. So how long do you typically spend, let's say with a voice actor that is good that you're bringing to greater is there an average amount of time that you spend? Or bringing to what, Adam? Bringing to greatness. or Oh, or yes. Yeah. Well, it's not like golf where you never finish. Right. You know, you, you, you constantly are trying to make it better. But I think taking a person for, to excellence has to do from good, has to do with a couple of things, primary things, Adam. One of them is to recognize that you're there enough. I mean, after all, we knew how to pronounce Zellweger and Malkovich, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we knew that they were stars. Why? Because people like them. They kind of like watching them or listening to them or whatever. So there's that one aspect that we're drawn away from as we progress learning skills. Because when we start, the first thing that overwhelmed me was, okay, I have no skills. So I focused on skills. And forgot for quite a long time, yeah, but where are you, Pat? And I have a ghost career that never happened where the producer would say, yeah, it would just be you, Pat. And I would say, yeah, well, I'd be home in my shorts on my couch. You don't want that. But they did. And so as I got older and, you know, you have a wife, a living room, you have money, you don't need anything. You finally go, you know what? Who cares? It's okay. Oh, I don't forget how to do a Scottish duck with an Ishtrick 300 pounds. But in that, there's got to be a little truth. Not a lot, but a little chunk. So if you scrape all that off, you get pat. Because the truth has to be there. And, you know, when people say, well, you did hundreds of cartoons, and, you know, you're up there with, you know, whatever. I say, yeah, well, first of all, I know a guy at Denny's, a cook, that's done 50,000 pancakes, all mediocre. And so... I also say to them that what's central is you and you're, you know, I asked my mentor once, why do you hire me all the time, even when I'm wrong? And he goes, well, Chuck Bloor said, well, 
you're always coming with something, even when you're wrong. And we click. The click is very important. And it's something I didn't really look at. And that's, it's the click. And the click has to do with them, your connection, and also with truth. Right. People want to work with who they click with, you know, who they yeah, you know, like I don't know why. I work with Scott Brick 10 years now teaching audiobooks. We teach together and we just adore each other. You know, he lives down the street and, you know, once he, uh, I directed him recently doing The Great Gatsby, right? And we got down to, he said, well, a uh, director gets $600 per finished hour. And I said, hey, Scott, 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 we're beyond money. Okay, uh, you send me some money or whatever. I don't care. It's it's not it's not up to that. It's up to excellence. And to go back to your question, answered uh, succinctly, there's no answer to taking some good to excellent. But I'm like a plastic surgeon. You walk through the door, and I can say, "Well, he gave me a nose job, and his ears pinned back, and he's lose thirty pounds." I know. <laughs> and then the rest is kind of <clears throat> disgusting. And I've been to many doctors. You know that they know right when they enter the door. So my job is to connect with them. So they're happy to see me because they know the work. And so excellence, I think, has to do with taking what's good and making it excellent. And it's not everything. I got one student in uh, New Jersey right now, Beth Ann Reed. Well, she's spooky good. Every time I get one of her uh, MP3, her recordings, I go, what can I say to make her better? She's so good now. But the one thing she does, and she comes from theater like I do, she plays her choices about 10 to 20% too big. And I always say, well, you know, Scott says you err on the side of subtlety. Why? Because you got five and a half hours with them or 35. So you back off, but keep your choices, but back off. So it's more like movie acting than theater acting or, you know, big acting or as Judy McSwain the director calls it prime timey. That's realistic. You get more realistic because they're going to be with you a long time. Yeah. What are your thoughts on using, let's say, vocal warm-ups? Do you use them frequently? Do you teach them to your, your students? A vocal what? Warm-ups. So oh, like, none. Like tongue none. twisters and stuff like nah, that. No, you know what? It's okay. You know, I sing Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons songs, which I can never hit the range. And I don't go too loud first because that's where you get in trouble. Don't be loud. Tongue twisters are okay, but you don't get them. But I see the point of it. It's like when you're going to move your house and lift all those boxes up, you don't go out and find boxes and lift them. You go to the gym and lift weights heavier. So when you come back, it's not as hard. So I don't do it myself, except that I do make sure, like I did with you, that I talk before I talk to you. So I don't sound like Henry Fonda, where I've lost all my consonants. I'm left for the vowel and the diphthong. Yeah, yeah, that's one word, eh? So I do get a little bit careful, although I'd never get too careful because my mentor along the way, beside Chuck Bull, was at Asner. It's to this day. He was my next door neighbor. I remember going over to him one day and reading something off a page of a commercial or something for an audition. And he went, hey, you're talking too good. You're talking too good. I, and put his big meat puppet hand in front of my face and made a 
talking pup. And I said, what? What are you talking about? And he said, listen to this. And he launched into T.S. Eliot's Murder in the Cathedral beautifully. It was like Lou Grant swallowed John Gielgud. And then right in the middle of it, he goes, say anybody can do that. What his point was is that one of the important parts of a commercial, certainly, and other things, other performance, is you connect. And if I use perfect diction with you, and I'm doing this right now, it's disconcerting because it makes one listening feel like, oh, I don't talk to that good. Or, or it makes me feel a little uppity, which is really bad. It distances me from the character and the person to whom I'm speaking. Uh, the, I believe the clients and directors usually call it, you need to sound more real. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and speaking of directors, you never get good directors or any. Never have, but even more so now that people are auditioning and recording from home. Right. So self-direction is so important. I work with Peter Weir, Stephen Frears, Terry Gilliam. I mean, some luminaries. They were very good. Everybody gets better with a really good director. Come on. You you come in at 80%, they take you to 190 Right. But we don't get it. You're lucky to get out of a session or do something and not be worse than you were going in. Yeah. But it's very important that an actor knows text analysis to take the writer's words and realize those and the story the writer has written. That's become I've got a home study course called The Art of Self-Direction. And by the way, there's no art. Mm-hmm. It's not art, art, art. It's a good title. There's just knowing self-direction. But that's important. Yes. Really important. Because directors, again, you never have. Now, I, with, yeah, Scott, with Scott Brick, when I directed him, we had spent a long time on the phone and talking to each other about a general concept of Great Gatsby. Since the only character that changes in the entire novel is Nick Carraway, the narrator. Gatsby doesn't change. His girlfriend, Daisy, Jor, nobody changes. So it really could have been... Could have been called the great Nick Carraway. <laughs> so there's the only arc to find is where he begins and he loves everything. And then he ends not liking anything except the person he really didn't like to begin with. That was great Gatsby, Jay Gatsby. So after we had those discussions, we came up with the general main concept. Then it was like, oh, yeah, I think I gave him one note that I recall that was of any meaning through the entire direction of the book. And it was, Scott, son, and I call him Sonny. He calls me Pops. Sonny, do that better. And he laughed. He couldn't stop laughing because he's never been told that. <laughs> but, you know, what are you going to say? It's like John Houston. I, w- I was talking to Jeff Bridges once, and I was on the phone with him doing ad-libbing lines before primary uh, principal photography to make him mean because he's a nice guy he was not doing a correct job being a mean guy and so we were on you know hold and i and we were doing john Houston for some unknown reason i was going don't mix the metaphors mix the martinis and he said do you know the one thing he told me in the entire shoot I had forgotten that his first movie was called Fat City, and he did it with Stacy Keach Jr. under John Houston. I've forgotten that, but he said, you know the one thing he told me the entire time? I said, no. He said, give me more, Jeff. Give me more. <laughs> he has a key to talent. Right. 
like he told Catherine Hepburn, the one, the best damn, and this is a quote, her advice she got or guidance from a director ever. And she said, what do I do? How do I play this role? And he, well, think of a grand woman. And she thought of Eleanor Roosevelt and done. There it was done. Go. She goes, that was the only thing I ever heard. Nice and I wish I were like that. I talk too much. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's move on to my next segment. I would love to know, let's go back in time and talk about, now, I don't want to go too far back because I've talked with other, <laughs> <laughs> I, I've talked with other voice actors, but not. But in 1914, I played a Victrola. <laughs> yeah, okay, let's not go back that far. Let, let's talk about when you trans, I mean, you, you still do voice acting, but you do more train voice training or teaching, as it were, right now. Is that right? Yes, correct. So let's talk about that transition, when you transitioned from a professional voice actor to a voice teacher. Uh, what did that look like? Uh, maybe... Uh, can you give some like reasoning why you decided to go into teaching? Did you feel like called to teaching? If you would explain. You know what? I always taught and performed. When I was four years old, I was dying really good, so they wanted to shoot me. And after I died, I go, okay, here's what you do. Arch your back and foam your mouth a little bit. I was teaching. It was always that way. I used to get in trouble with directors because I'd be teaching something and they'd take umbrage. <laughs> and uh, when I was in undergraduate school, Jack Fryman, who we lost, was a wonderful teacher, and he had me teaching. I went to Cornell, didn't teach, but then my first job was vocal dynamics in Australia. I had immigrated to do more Shakespeare, and I had to keep one chapter ahead of them because I had never taught it specifically. But as I went by, uh, I had a desire you know, a penchant to teach rather than just do uh, ducks, dogs, and vellums. And so there was no transition. It was a matter of, well, I'll do this more than the other. Why? They're either hiring me so much for cartoons and voices that I have little time to teach, or they're not hiring me at all, so I'll teach more. No transition, really. Yeah, wonderful. I think the big transition comes from a performer who tries to teach. They don't know how. Yeah, they know how to perform, but they don't necessarily know how to show others how they perform. Exactly. We've, we've known people like that. They, they sing like a bird, like Rob Paulson does. And I go, how do you do that? And he goes, oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he just does it. He come to the house and sing the country song. You know that song, Romania, Dubrania, yeah, yeah. right? He'd do it a cappello to my boys. <laughs> and I'd come in the room later. They knew Rob. And he was like 150 pounds, uh, dripping wet, drove a Porsche, you know, skated like a hockey player. And I come into the den, they'd be watching the cartoon. I go, hey, guys, how are you? I had had four boys in five years, so I had a lot of boys run out. And I go, hey, guys. And one of them would turn around and go, shh, Mr. Paulson's on. (laughs) And then here, I thought, well, you know, What's, what's the good of having a kid if you can't have him on residual patrol? So later, when he stopped, I said, was I on? And one of them go, yeah, you did that good thing. <laughs> I'm actually loving to have him on my show, too. Oh, he's a delight. Yeah. Great. That's wonderful. 
let's talk. We are starting to run out of time, but we do have some more time. What, I know we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but what advice would you have for someone who feels called to teaching and wants to teach voiceover or voice acting? Gee, I don't know. I have not thought of it. I would, I would say the same thing I say if you have a calling to do voices, right. to perform. And that is, first of all, try to think of any other way you can make a living that you like. And then second, if you have to teach, if you have to perform voiceover, just get really good. Now, these days, you don't learn on the job. You get the job, and then you do the job. Whereas it was different for me and Rob. And well, I remember Rob when he was, wasn't very good. But uh, I sat next to him for nine years doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I got to see him get really good. So that's not available anymore. So being with a teacher or coach is valuable. Even during this horrible era we're in, this COVID-19 and beyond, yeah. where everyone seems to be putting their money into a, home recording studio and it's top it's expensive but along the way i mean you know it's sort of like i want to drive so what do i do i spend money on a maserati or you know whatever and then people look at it and they go okay do a duck that's nervous and they don't know how it always reminds me of a true story about one of my teachers ron feinberg was on the greens and there was a four people in front they were Japanese men, all beautifully dressed, great club set, great bag, gorgeous. And one put the ball on the tee and looked at it. He didn't know what to do. <laughs> wow. Everything but the gist. And, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, you know, I used a $300 mic and a little uh, scarlet unit, which was less than 100 or something. And I'm in a in a place that doesn't echo back. That's important. You got to have a, some kind of place you don't echo back or sound ringy because they'll bust you on that. They won't right. bust you on something like you're in a snowstorm, which <laughs> some people create in a booth. Where they show them those, 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 you know, um, but, but that's it. Because the, the real thing is to sound like you know what you're doing. And really the way to do that is to know what you're doing. Yeah. Because you know what? I could spend five grand on a studio and I have no confidence. But if I spend a modest amount of money learning skills and being encouraged to be yourself and all the stuff that has been taught to me, I have confidence. Yeah, great. So before we go, go ahead and tell my listeners and me what you got going on right now. Is it just teaching or do you have anything, anything in the works? Nothing. The last time I did a cartoon, I was the only person in the booth. It was creepy because, you know, my modicum of success has to do with ensemble casting. Even from Hanna-Barbera on, I was there with the, pretty much the whole cast. Well, you can't do that these days. No. Now, video games you can, but I don't see them coming my way. And again, I'm the old guy. You know, it's, it's, it's different for older people. 
When they want an old guy, they get a 50-year-old. Well, I'm 72. Hello. <laughs> it's sort of like uh, they probably listen to my audition and go, yeah, that guy's good, but isn't he supposed to be dead? <laughs> oh, so, so nothing yeah. going on. So if people want to go to you for to learn the craft, where would they, how would they contact you? for? Well, email? they can go to pathfreely.com, Adam, and Great. see all the things I offer, including a free page, which has about 100 different lessons that are free. If they want to get a hold of me, they go to contacts, there's my phone number and my email. Email's faster than phone. Right. And they ask me a question, like, where do I begin? Or I, I have this... I want to do characters, or I hate characters, but I, I it's okay, or I love audiobooks, or I hate them. Right. You know, whatever. And so I can guide them. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Pat. You've been one of my favorite guests so far. Well, it's been my pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where, where did you go to school? Because I'll tell you later. Yeah. Oh, before I forget, I keep forgetting there's a new segment I've been adding to my podcast, which is how we met. And for, I mean, we know how we met, but our listeners may not know this. Well, do I say it or not? Do you want to, do we just want to say it or do we want to do it as a trivia question? I don't know. It's up to you. It's your show. Yeah. I think well, I, I like the trivia question. because I'll say one. Thing. I'll give them a clue. Okay. Toronto. Okay. So, did we meet A, at a recording session in Toronto, B, at a voice conference in Toronto, or C, just dining at a restaurant in Toronto? Or D, in the back of a van. Or D, in the back of a van in Toronto. (laughs) (laughs) What a delight to be with you, Adam. Yeah. And, well, obviously the answer, for those of you who don't know, is B. We met at a voice conference. (laughs) And that is, you were the, it was Voice World Toronto, and you were the keynote speaker, and you called up for a volunteer. And I came up, of course, because I love volunteering for things. And then... He gave some commercial copy, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a video of that somewhere. Is there? Wow. I would love yeah, to I see that. Yeah, I know there's a video of uh, one gal that got up, uh, and I, I assume for you, but I gave you notes, and you did, you did it better. Yeah. You got, you got better fast. Yeah, I'm very good at listening and taking direction. Yeah, well, good luck, because you don't get it except from you. Right, Exactly. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you all out there for listening. This is Adam Sartain. My guest today has been the great, amazing Pat Fraley. And (laughs) (laughs) Lord Krang. And this has been another episode of Inside Animation. (laughs) 